Welcome back to Third String Podcast. Today we are looking at the NFC and AFC West, continuing our NFL preview before the Thursday night action with the Eagles and the Falcons. Pete, welcome back to Third String. How was your uh, Labor Day weekend? It was good. It was good. It was uh, a good couple days off. I ended up having Friday off too. I, I think you said you were off on Friday. So I good was. four day weekend. Got some work done around the house. Yeah, I watched some college football. I have to say that my my college football playoff prediction of UT making it into the the top four did not <laughs> did not come out looking too good after this weekend when they were upset by a Maryland squad. So, yeah. uh, you know, this is the last time I put myself out on a limb for the Longhorn faithful. I'm trying to do a good thing here. Like I said, I walk by the stadium every day on the way to work. I live in Austin. Try to try to support the uh, the burnt orange, and this is what this is what I get. I get them being beaten by a team that is literally named after turtles. <laughs> I have to it was say a though, short it, ride on the bandwagon. It, it was a really short <laughs> ride. I have to say though, it's a it's a feel good story for Maryland, uh, of course, playing in honor of their fallen teammate. The the fallout still being very much felt across the university from his death in a training. Uh, practice earlier this spring so that was it, it was nice to see Maryland get a win for him they came out and did a 10-man formation in honor of him yeah. and of course Texas declined the delay of game penalty as they as they rightly should have and uh, and that it was just a good good meaningful win I think for the Terrapins faithful so I'm happy for him yeah I I agree but such such an ugly football offseason this year honestly in, in college football goodness I know happening at Ohio State all the drama uh, there, all the terrible things happened in Maryland, and just a lot of, a lot of churning this year. So, thank goodness that the season finally got started, and we can finally just talk about sports, and hopefully not have any of this other drama looming over us. Obviously, when Urban Meyer comes back, there'll be a little drama around that. But for sure, yeah, especially because you you sent me his statement, which I thought was also ridiculous. This guy yeah. can't he can't seem to make an authentic apology, and he has to simultaneously basically you know take the line like i'm sorry i offended people but i'm not sorry you know sorry not sorry is essentially what i'm getting from each of his subsequent statements first big 10 media day and then after that his clarifying remarks and then again his twitter post where he's just basically like hey i want to be clear i didn't do anything wrong so yeah i i think one of the few things that really drives me crazy about college football is because we have so much turnover every year in the athletes we really start to to become attached to these coaches and you're Urban Myers, your Mac Browns when he was at tennis uh, at Texas, your Bobby Bowden's at Florida State, your your Frank Beamers at Virginia Tech, they all become so much more than most of their players. That when we hit the NFL level, the coaches are just there to kind of keep the, the the train on the tracks. Obviously, Bill Belichick is is a big personality in the NFL, but isn't it so interesting how in college football, when you think of Alabama, you don't think of Jalen Hurts or Tua, you think of Nick Saban, right? right it's, definitely. it's just so interesting how much we gravitate towards these coaches because they are our stability that, man, programs really rise and fall with the coaches more than it does in the NFL. So it's it's interesting. And maybe maybe this will start forcing some change. But yeah, Urban Meyer. Ugh. Yeah, Ugh. gross. Well, should we move from college and talk talk about NFL football? Let's do it. All right. So AFC, NFC West, let's start with the AFC here, and we'll do this in the same way that we've done our North and South previews. That is, we'll identify a team, we'll talk about the storyline and the X factor, and then for each division, we'll give a prediction of who's going to come out on top in that division. So I think we should start with the AFC West, and uh, the team alphabetically at the top of that list is the Broncos. So the storyline for me here, I think, is, is Vance Joseph, their head coach. He uh, put together a, a pretty disappointing freshman campaign uh, last year. 
And uh, the Broncos faithful, I have many friends who are Broncos fans. The Broncos faithful are, are not very happy with Vance Joseph. And I think his seat is is looking pretty hot. Of course, uh, they they send uh, Trevor Simeon out of town. Um, they are they trade for Case Keenum to try to get a good quarterback uh, under center. Um, and they have Chad Kelly as a backup, and they had Paxton Lynch. Uh, they kept him for their 53-man initially on Saturday, but then shortly after that waived him um, because they placed a waiver claim and needed to make room on their roster. So um, the X factor for me is really going to be Case Keenum. Can he come in there and pilot an offense uh, to get Vance Joseph to have a winning season? And, you know, we talked about the Broncos in our post-draft podcast. I think the Broncos had a sneaky good draft, and that's, of course, headlined by their first-round pick, Bradley Chubb. He's a defensive end, and if he can come in uh, and pair with Von Miller, that's going to be a really formidable pass rush that could sustain the Broncos because, of course, the, the, the way to win, as we've seen, as we've talked about repeatedly, is to win in the trenches. The uh, Broncos don't have a great offensive line, but if they can uh, win on the defensive line, um, that could go a long way to helping Vance Joseph at least get to like an eight and eight season or something like that. What do you think? Yeah, I I totally agree. I'm I'm really interested in Case Keenum. I did not expect Paxton Lynch to get cut. I mean, a right, first round draft I. pick from 2016, first rounder cut less than two years later. It just yeah. it really really surprised me. I think Case Keenum will be solid. Uh, I think. Like when we when we talk about other teams, we look at really who are the athletic playmaking quarterbacks and who are the good game managers. I see Case Keenum as a good game manager, not on the level of, say, Alex Smith in Washington, but kind of that ability to to control the field, but not necessarily make the plays you're looking for in order to really make a difference. So I, I think Case Keenum, if he can pilot that offense, they'll be okay, not great. I just don't see a lot of offensive weapons here. I totally agree that they had a good draft and their defense, like always, is is pretty formidable. I just don't see a lot of offensive weapons that are going to make a difference uh, on this this team this year. I mean, you, you think about the Broncos and you think about the, the years with Peyton Manning, or you think about, heck, even going back to the John Elway years, they always had a great quarterback and great receivers. And I, I just don't see them this year. I'm just not seeing a lot of a lot of skill at wide receiver aside from maybe Emmanuel Sanders, maybe Demarius Thomas, who I think both peaked under Peyton Manning. Right. I, I just don't see a whole lot of other explosive offensive players. The defense will keep it close, but I, I don't think the offense right now has the horses to really do anything. Yeah, I agree. And it, a lot of it will, will depend on how effectively they can scheme for Keenum because we've seen Case Keenum in St. Louis with the, the then St. Louis Rams, and we saw yeah. him in Minnesota, of course. And uh, those two quarterbacks, those two versions of Case Keenum are very different from each other. And the difference, I think, is that uh, Pat Shermer in Minnesota was able to scheme very effectively for Case Keenum. So can uh, Vance Joseph and his staff do something similar in Denver? I think a lot will depend on that. Um, And also looking at a a couple things, um, uh, Royce Freeman was the the running back they drafted in the third round. He was a he's a fierce runner coming out of Oregon. Um, The guy's just a beast. He's like five foot 11 and 220 pounds or something like that. Um, and uh, they just named him the starting running back. So uh, he could make a dent just looking at their offensive weapons. He's kind of, he's an unknown entity because we haven't really seen him in a, in a true NFL game environment preseason, uh, not counting. Right. Yeah. Um, and then Cortland Sutton, who was their second round pick. He's a wide receiver at SMU, the uh, plan for Chad Morris uh, on the Mustangs. Um, and he'll be really interesting to watch as well because in college, uh, when you watch him, he he displays a lot of the the t- the prototypical tools of an NFL wide receiver, which is why he was drafted in the second round, even out of a school like SMU. So I'm really interested to see if he can make an impact uh, immediately from day one. If he can, I think he he and Royce Freeman together give 
uh, Keenum, two more good weapons. But I think you're right. Overall, this Denver team is lighter on offensive weapons than they really need to be to contend. So so who do you think is going to be kind of at the bottom of this division? Are you looking at Denver? You're looking at Oakland. Which which team do you think is really bottoming out here? Because I'm I'm not high on Oakland at all either. I think it is really uh, your top two teams with the Chargers and the Chiefs. And then I see Oakland and Denver in really another division almost with with how much I expect those two teams to really be hurting down there at the bottom. What what are your thoughts on Oakland? Yeah, I, I think you're right. Let's let's talk about Oakland. I, the storyline here is Gruden, right? I mean that that has to be yeah. new coach. Chucky. He brings in. Uh, I saw a uh, a um, tweet earlier today that um, Oakland wanted to play a TV announcer, uh, pay a TV announcer one hundred million dollars to come be their coach, but they didn't want to pay the the best. Uh, a defensive tackle in the league, eighty million dollars guaranteed to be their player, um, and uh, I think the uh, the X factor on this team could have been Khalil Mack. He is an a, you know a multiple time All Pro. He's definitely one of the best in the league. But they shipped him off to Chicago, and and this is just the la- the last line in a long sequence of things that Gruden has done in Oakland that make me question whether or not he has this team headed in the right direction. So. Uh, I also, like you, think that Oakland will be at the bottom. I actually think that Oakland's going to be below the Broncos in, when the when the division standings uh, are, when we're looking at them in January. Yeah, I, I agree. I've, I've got them sitting a pretty solid fourth. For for no other reasons than I don't really believe Derek Carr is the, the franchise quarterback we thought he was a year, year and a half ago. Obviously, he's fighting off a lot of injuries, um, and he's he hasn't really been helped out by a solid offensive line right. ever. But in losing Khalil Mack, I think that defense took a lot of steps back. Uh, I see this division uh, being a, a run-heavy division, I think. Um, and I don't see Oakland having the, the bodies inside to slow down an efficient running game. Uh, and, and then you look at the offense where Derek Carr is making some bad decisions. He's on his back for half of his offensive series, it right. feels like. They, they just don't have much. Much like Denver doesn't have the explosive weapons, I just don't see the consistency in Oakland really to to make them formidable that better change before they move to las vegas so i can start getting behind the team yeah no kidding but i i think this is going to be a rough rough year in oakland Uh, and i think john gruden is going to face scrutiny like he is he wasn't expecting to face this early on in his uh second tenure with the with the raiders yeah i was on twitter earlier today and saw a tweet from graham barfield just at graham barfield he says uh john gruden's first off season with the raiders uh, build the, he built the NFL's oldest roster. Average age is 27.4. Traded Khalil Mack, of course, who leads all edge defenders in pressures since 2014. Uh, he traded his number 79 overall pick for Martavis Bryant and then cut Bryant before week one. The, the news of Bryant getting cut uh, hit last late last week. And yep. then he selected a tackle, Colton Miller, over safety Derwin James, who uh, I think was the best defensive player in the draft. Uh, yeah. On top of that, he just traded for A.J. McCarron, um, who the, the Bills thought really highly of, clearly, since they kept him for uh, an entire offseason. Uh, <laughs> so th- that th- that's Gruden's record so far with the Raiders. To me, it doesn't look good if I'm a Raiders fan. And, uh, you know, trying to be objective, looking at it from the outside, it doesn't look good to me as a as a as an uninterested, uh, you know, just fan of the NFL. I'm not a, I don't have, I have no allegiance to the Raiders. It just looks to me like uh, Gruden has them heading in a downward direction. Yeah, I, I think people are pretty nervous about the the product that's going to be coming out of the Raiders camp this year. I, I, I think the other fear, honestly, and I have nothing tangible to back this up, but I think a big fear right now is that John Gruden just doesn't quite understand where the game is now. Obviously, he's been very close to it. He's talked to a lot of teams, so he's gotten a lot of good opportunities to learn 
how the game is progressing. But I think even as you were listening to him on Monday Night Football last year, his money on and he makes all of his money on what feels like late 90s, early 2000s way of articulating what's happening on the football field. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. It was super annoying to watch any of those Monday night games. Absolutely. And you look at where where the the great teams, where are your Eagles going? Where are the, right. even the Patriots going? It is a dynamic offense who adapts on the fly, who doesn't just rely on getting their running back 30 carries a game, uh, and they're going to throw a slant on third down, and then deep down, down on the sidelines when they're in trouble. It is a dynamic offense that adapts and moves and shuffles players continuously. And I don't think John Gruden is really prepared for that right now. I mean, in six games, maybe he'll have adapted and he'll have a good offensive staff to to help him out. I know Greg Olson's his offensive coordinator, but I I just don't know if John Gruden is prepared for the game here in 2018. I I think he's more of a 2007 coach. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, let's talk about a coach who has been more on the leading edge of that type of scheme design, and that's Andy Reid, who, uh, you know, the the Andy Reid coaching tree reaches far and wide, but it includes Doug Peterson, of course, the, of the, uh, the Super Bowl champion Eagles. Had uh, to throw that in there, didn't I had, you? I had, had to, to every, every podcast I've got to mention uh-huh. the, the Super Bowl champs. So, um, you know, Reed's, the, the knock against Reed is that he's not a playoff coach. He does very well in the regular season. Um, I'm not sure if he's had, I don't think he's had a winning record every season, but certainly um, most of his seasons he's had a winning record. He's gone to the playoffs many, many times, but he just doesn't show up in the playoffs. And so I think the storyline for the Chiefs is redemption. Uh, they've made the playoffs the last three years. In the last two years, they lost their first playoff game, and those com- those two games uh, they lost by a combined three points. They lost eighteen to sixteen to the Steelers two years ago, and last year they lost twenty two to twenty one um, in that uh, horrendous uh, that horrendous uh, wild card game. Where they just didn't play in the second half. I mean, didn't they have a fourteen yeah. or seventeen point lead at yeah. halftime? They had they a lead. Uh, forgot they, to show up. They took the lead to halftime, and then Andy Reid, uh, as he often does, just played very conservatively, didn't take any risk. And this is the guy who who does scheme very well, and who is known for putting together more innovative game plans. I mean, he has a guy like Tyree Kill on his team that he used to his full extent in the first half, and then just you, you didn't hear from him after that. Um, yeah. So that's the knock against Reed. So I think the storyline here is redemption. Can they put something together? And the reason that this is interesting is because um, their X factor to me this year is Pat Mahomes, who um, was drafted uh, the year before last out of Texas Tech, did not see the field much at all last year. Certainly not enough for us to get a good sense of his uh, talent level, but the Chiefs were confident enough in his abilities as their new a signal caller that they traded away Alex Smith, as you know, to the uh, the Washington Redskins. So um, I, I think this is going to be interesting to see what Andy Reid can cook up for Pat Mahomes and whether or not Pat Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey um, can put together enough of that offensive dynamism that you were talking about to lead lead the team to an AFC West title. I think that's very much in reach for the Chiefs. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm as high on them as, as it kind of sounds like you are right now. For some reason, and this is not because I don't think he could be great, I just don't don't really know what to expect out of Pat Mahomes, and I'm not really ready to be a believer in him yet. I know a lot of people are really, really high on him, and that is part of the reason why they let Alex Smith go. I just think that they realized that that offense with Alex Smith was not the, the explosive offense they needed, that I think, again, Alex Smith was a great game manager, but not a dynamic playmaker like you need. And I, much like the other two teams, as I'm looking at 
explosiveness, and I'm looking at playmakers on this team, especially when you look at defense. I mean, who on this Kansas City defense uh, is really impressing you right now besides maybe Eric Berry? I'm, I'm not seeing a, a go-to guy. I'm not seeing well, a... Well, and of course, they traded away Marcus Peters to yeah. uh, the Rams. Yeah, so I... I, I don't know. I actually have the Chiefs sitting second in the division, where I think that they're probably a nine-win team, uh, but I don't really see them doing too much more than that. I, I'm much higher on the Chargers than I am the Chiefs, just because I, I don't think Andy Reid is is my my guy. I, I think he is a, a great regular season coach, but just like you said, he, he doesn't win in the playoffs because he's one of the most conservative coaches in the NFL. And as much as it's nice to always win in the regular season, uh, the fact that he is never willing to take chances, I think, is going to keep the Kansas City Chiefs from ever getting over this this hump that they've been trying to get over since the mid '80s. Yeah, I, I mean, I think if I'm picking, if I'm looking at, if I'm talking about the Chiefs, I'm picking them to win the division. I'm not picking them to go further than that in the playoffs because of okay. the the Andy Reid curse. But I assume then, uh, since you're talking about Broncos and Raiders at the bottom, that you're looking at the Chargers to win the division. I sure am. I sure am. Yeah, th- this is an interesting team. I'm not really sure what to make of them because, of course, Philip Rivers ha- is having one of those Hall of Fame careers that you know we're going to look back in retrospect and just be like, yeah, I really never paid attention to Philip Rivers because there were so many other high-profile quarterbacks like Brady, Roethlisberger, Rodgers around him. But he is in that in that sort of generation of quarterbacks, and he's he's quietly putting together good season after good season. Um, and so, of course, they still have Rivers. Uh, they just re-signed Antonio Gates. I think uh, Rivers and Gates have the most, uh, like the most touchdown connections of any Chargers duo in history, or or at least it's number two. Um, Keenan Allen is back, uh, fully recovered from his knee injury of a year ago, uh, and he's a bona fide number one receiver. Mike Williams had the herniated disc last year after being drafted out of Clemson, but he's supposedly healthy. Um, could be another uh, threat on the outside. Um, their offensive line was really bad last year, but they've they've boosted it. They have uh, Russell Okung who can stabilize the uh, left tackle position. They got uh, Pouncey and Forrest Lamp as well. Um, so I think they've they've made a lot of the improvements that they need to. Uh, and then on on defense, of course, they have Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. It's one of the the best, uh, at least a top three a tandem rushing unit or pass rushing unit. And then they added Derwin James to the draft after uh, Jay Gruden or John Gruden passed on him in the draft in the draft. So. Um, They've done, they've done at least on paper, all of the off-season upgrades that they need to do to be competitive for this division. But for me, when I look at the Chargers of the last three to four years, um, they're a team that loses a lot of really close games. And I think that's, that's what the difference is going to come down to in the AFC West as far as who comes out on top, who's going to be able to execute fully through complete games. And it's ironic, given that we were talking about how Andy Reid's unit uh, came back in the playoffs last year and did not play the second half, but in the regular season, that's not really an Andy Reid thing to do. So um, when we're talking about the ability to finish and the ability to execute, um, I think it might be a, a one year too early for the Chargers because um, it's a young crew, a lot of whom are going to be playing together for the first time as they go through the 16 games of this season. I, I think you make a great point in talking about their their close game performance. So I, I just checked. Uh, last year, they were 1-4. and four. In games decided by three points right, or less. Exactly. Um, and, and I think if you look at the injury bug that seems to strike the Los Angeles Chargers, I keep wanting to call them the San Diego Chargers. I know, Go back me to too. San Diego. It's a better city. Uh, anyway, um, it 
this this team just strikes me as so unlucky. So I think in a way, even though there's nothing statistically or empirical to back it up, I feel like this team has to overcome some of that unluckiness that they've seen. And that's kind of where I'm liking them this year. I think last year they had a pretty awful kicking game. I think that contributed a lot to their inability Definitely, to win yeah. those close games. Uh, but I think the the two players who you left off as you were talking about some of their, their great assets this year going forward is one, Melvin Gordon, who don't forget was an 1,100-yard 11, 1, rusher right. last year. And two, the addition of uh, of Mike Pouncey from the Dolphins, where the Dolphins seem to be selling off all of their assets this offseason uh, and losing Jarvis Landry and Mike Pouncey. I think Mike Pouncey could definitely be critical uh, towards that offensive line and give him some stability. And you're right, Phillip Rivers is a Hall of Fame level quarterback who just can never get over the hump either. Right. I, th- I think if they are able to stay healthy, which is the biggest what if for any team in the NFL or in college for that matter, I think this could be a special year in, in San Diego. And, and I'm kind of hoping as well. I'm a, I'm a Philip Rivers fan, so I, I'd really like to see that team do something kind of for him this year. So probably picking a little more with my heart than anything else. But I think Melvin Gordon is also poised for a, for a big year out there in Los Angeles. I like it. Well, and there, you know, there are two ways to read the close games thing. The, the first is the one that I laid out there, which is basically this team doesn't have the finishing power. And the second is just that this team has been really unlucky. And if that's the case, then sooner or later, the luck will straighten itself out and they'll start winning more of those close games. So, you know, it sounds like that's really sort of more where you're leaning. So um, we'll see. I I definitely can see that happening. To me, this is a two horse race in the FC West between the Chiefs and the Chargers. And um, I don't have a really good inclination of where we'll go. I'm throwing my hat in the ring for the Chiefs, but uh, I, too, would like to see the Chargers come out. Yeah, it'll be. uh, I think this is going to be one of the most lopsided divisions in the nfl this year we're gonna have two really competitive really good teams and two really not fun to watch teams i think you're gonna see pretty boring games in oakland and denver this year which is crazy to think of that in the black hole we could see a team who is so not compelling and in denver we could see a team without any real offensive weapons it's it's a real change of pace but you know it, it has to ebb and flow yeah totally agree well nfc west should we move on to that Let's do it. Let's stick to the uh, the left coast. Okay, so uh, let's start with the Cardinals. Uh, Arizona, Steve Wilkes, his freshman year as a coach, filling Bruce Arians' shoes. Uh, I think Bruce Arians often didn't get enough credit for the coaching mind that he was, but Steve Wilkes has to fill his shoes with Tyran Matthew gone, with John Brown gone, with Carson Palmer gone. And not that Carson Palmer was an incredible quarterback, but Anytime you have a new quarterback, there's going to be a learning curve and there's going to be things you have to adjust. So he's got Sam Bradford now as his primary signal caller with Josh Rosen, the new draft pick out of UCLA, backing him up. Um, and I think that's what, what it's going to come down to. How how well can this unit, you know, brand new head coach, brand new quarterback, how well can they, can they jail and set up the offense for success? Um, and I think, you know, a, a big part of that is my X factor, who's Bradford. How healthy will he be? This guy does not stay healthy. I mean, take it from a fan of the Eagles who suffered through a a few years of Bradford's quarterback play. He doesn't stay on the field. So um, if that's the case, will he open up an opportunity for Rosen? And what will that look like? How will that galvanize uh, or doom the Cardinals offense one way or the other? Yeah. And don't forget, I mean, Sam Bradford is 31. Larry Fitzgerald is 35. This this is an older offensive team. And I mean, if... If it doesn't work out with Sam Bradford, uh, I think Josh Rosen could be interesting. Right. Not not really compelling to me right now. I mean, I don't like the way that he handled the draft. I didn't think he was all that great in college. He was he was he was good for college, but I don't see his skills really translating to the NFL yet. So I think if Sam Bradford gets hurt, 
and Josh Rosen has to come in, there's going to be a lot of learning that has to happen on the field right now, which is not really where you want to be with an NFL team that your quarterback is having to learn on the fly that much. And then don't forget their third stringer is Mike Glennon, who did, again, okay in Tampa Bay, but not great. Right. So I, th- I think this team is going to be missing a lot of leadership. And I think they could very well be not only in the basement of the division, I think they could be in the basement of the NFL this year. I think that they are a four or five win team at best this year without Bruce Arians, who I completely agree with you, was one of the most underappreciated coaches in the NFL. He obviously took the Colts to the Super Bowl while Chuck Pagano was out uh, fighting cancer. And in case you're wondering, Bruce Arians, do you know where he went to school? Uh, I'm going to guess Virginia Tech. You nailed it, my man. He was our quarterback <laughs> when the Hokies were really, really bad. So he'll always have a special place in my heart. But totally agree, Bruce Arians. Really underappreciated, and I think the Cardinals are going to step back without him. So you think the Cardinals will finish below the Seahawks even, who are pretty clearly in rebuilding mode? I do. I, I okay. really do. There, There's just no continuity on that offensive side. And the Arizona defense is really not anything to ever write home about either, as I'm looking right. at the roster right now. Especially uh, again, with the Honey Badger gone. Yeah, yeah. They, they just lost so many weapons in Arizona right now. I think, I think they're rebuilding just as much as the Seahawks, but the Seahawks at the end of the day still have uh, your Russell Wilson. Uh, I think even though the Legion of Boom is gone in Seattle, I trust that rebuilding team a lot more and I trust the Arizona rebuilding project. Okay, fair enough. Well, let's talk about the Seahawks real quick. What, what are your thoughts on the Seahawks? To me, it looks like a rebuilding team, but you know there are mixed messages in the front office because they didn't trade Earl Thomas when uh, he was holding out and, and you know quite clearly ready for a trade. They said, nope, we're holding on to him. Um, so not a full rebuild, not a fire sale, but uh, they, they also let a lot of talent go, including Richard Sherman, who's staying in the division, going down to San Francisco. So what, what do you think about the Seahawks? You said, obviously, they're going to finish higher than the Cardinals, but what's their ceiling? Ooh, I, I think their ceiling has got to be 7-9 or 8-8. Eight and eight. I, I don't see them being any better than that, for sure. I, I just think the Cardinals are a 4-5 or five win team, and I think based on those two teams playing each other, that'll kind of help boost the, the Seahawks. Okay. Gotcha. I don't think the Seahawks right now understand where they're going as a franchise I actually it, that's what pete it seems Carroll, like yeah i i think pete carroll's in trouble in seattle i really do and i know that we we say that every couple of years when he's a down year and then he finds a way to to be in the super bowl against the patriots but i y- you watch what happened with richard sherman and richard sherman is such a dynamic personality and a guy who is so hard i think if you're a front office to control and vector where he doesn't go rogue that i think kind of based on his performance and based on the guy he was. And again, this is just me, third person reading it. I have nothing to back it up in terms of, of journalistic writing. Um, but I think they were okay letting Richard Sherman go to give them kind of a new face on defense and start building a new identity. Yeah, I think what you're I right. Think, what I think really undid the Seahawks was the surprise Cam Chancellor retirement where he he's just been too beat up and he walked away from the game. I think that is where the wheel started to come off on this Seattle defense, which was so formidable for so long. I think what keeps the Seahawks alive more than anything this year is the fact that they've put some money and some talent into that offensive line where Russell Wilson was just getting crushed last year. And and you would not trust that offensive line to give you any kind of support in the run game. I think they've shored up that offense just enough uh, that, the, that they're going to be okay in the running game. Not right. great. I think the loss of Jimmy Graham, though, I think hurts Russell Wilson's downfield ability. And Baldwin is not going to be healthy this year. I... I see them being okay, but that's that's about it. Slightly better than Arizona. 
Yeah, I think a nightmare scenario for the Seahawks is what if Russell Wilson goes down with a season-ending injury, and then you're sure. then you're really I don't even know who's who's uh, backing up Russell Wilson right now in Seattle. That is a great question. Let me check. I'm seeing. Uh oh, why am I only seeing one quarterback on the roster? Uh-oh. Brett Hundley, I forgot they just traded for. Oh, Brett of course, Hundley yeah, yeah. Green Bay. Okay, just well, and, and Hundley's Hundley's a competent quarterback, so um, that that maybe wouldn't be disaster, but I think that at least that costs a couple wins if Russell Wilson goes down, right? So yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, be- yeah, because Russell Wilson's a playmaker, and at the end of the day, that's that is something that I don't see Sam Bradford, Josh Rosen, because he's so young. I I think the playmaking ability on the offensive side in Seattle is, is what keeps them afloat more than anything else is a okay running game and a playmaker under center. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, well let's talk 49ers, shall we? Yeah. Um, this one's, this one's, uh, you know, just, I think dominated by what I see as the biggest storyline, which is Garoppolo, the, uh, the quarterback who remains undefeated in regular season quarterback play. And, uh, you know, he's gonna, he's gonna lose at some point, but I think everyone's asking when, and they, they see, him looking like the 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 you know the second coming of Tom Brady and yeah. the uh the talking heads are all, already anointing him as that because he's Brady's protege he's on the TB12 program yada 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 um really what i see is is a is a good quarterback and you know i don't want to take that away from Garoppolo but a good quarterback who's plugged into a, a Kyle Shanahan uh led offense and these are the results but i think that will come back down to earth um, in part because they have to play the Rams, for example, a couple times this year. And uh, I think the question is just how far back down to earth. To me, this is also a two-horse race, this division, uh, Rams and Niners. I think the Rams are going to take the division crown, and I don't think it'll be p- particularly close, um, but I still see the 49ers as, as being a uh, a pretty good team. I I agree. I think John Lynch, the general manager out there in San Francisco, is doing really, really good things to build that team. And I think this is going to be fun in the, the next two or three years watching San Francisco and the Rams battle it out for, for the division crown right here. Um, what scares me about the 49ers right now is not Jimmy Garoppolo, where I think you can you can argue either way about what his future really is, and we'll see. But it's the injuries in San Francisco that are making me so nervous, where uh, late Sunday night, Jarrett McKinnon went out, and he'll have a torn ACL That's right, yeah. the entire 2018 season. So there goes your go-to running back. Richard Sherman's kind of hurt. Ruben Foster is battling. Uh, what? I'm sorry, he's not battling an injury. He was suspended for violating the league's conduct and substance right. abuse policy. Uh, it's just San Francisco makes me nervous with the, the tools who are – now, after week four of the preseason, still trying to kind of be threaded uh, in and out. I think Alfred Morris is going to step in, who will be okay. But we saw in Dallas, it didn't really work out with Alfred Morris. Right. Pierre Garcon Great guy, though. Nice I, I loved, his, I loved him uh, getting to know him a little bit more through the all or nothing. Yeah, that was that was great. We loved him in Washington when he was here, too. Yeah. It hurt when he went to Dallas. Uh, but I think he's gotten a little too old at this point, and I think he's been a workhorse for too long And that I don't I don't think his body is going to hold up for a full 16-game season being a solid three-down back. Right. Uh, I think he's going to be a situational back. And, and they're just, with Adrian Peterson going to the, the Redskins now, I don't see a great running back on the market for the 49ers to pick up and kind of plug into the, the Jared McKinnon hole uh, right there. So I, I just don't see a lot of tools in San Francisco to help get them uh, where they need to be to really, like you said, challenge the Rams other than make make some fun games. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, they've got Brent Selleck's younger brother at tight end, Garrett Selleck. Um, okay. And, and at running back, yeah, Matt Breida, Jarek McKinnon's out for the season. Raheem Mostert, Alfred Morris. That's not a that's not a super inspiring group. 
And then at wide receiver, they basically have Marquise Goodwin and Pierre Garçon, um, both of whom are getting older, 28 and 32 respectively. And then they've got, you know, a, four or five young guys behind him on the depth chart. Um, but again, that's not a super inspiring group. So I think it's going to be, uh, it could be an uphill battle for the 49ers. I still see this as like an eight and eight team, maybe even nine and seven, um, given that they play the, uh, in the Cardinals and the Seahawks as well. Um, I think yep. those are, those are all winnable games, but, um, uh, yeah, this is not going to be, this is not your eventual Super Bowl champions. Jimmy Garoppolo will lose <laughs> this year. Yeah. And, and just to put it in perspective, just kind of something funny as I'm thinking of Pierre Garçon is I remember him breaking onto the scene as one of Peyton Manning's go-to receivers in Indianapolis. Yeah. That's how long he's been in the league. And yeah, he's he's been a great tool, whether it was in Indianapolis or Washington, uh, but he's getting old and I'm just not seeing a lot of young talent on the offensive side outside of Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that is John Lynch's next big project is to figure out how to rebuild that offense because I think he's done some good stuff for that defense and that that'll make them very competitive. But yeah, Pierre Garçon has been around the league since 2008. <laughs> it's It's been a long time. Yeah. Um, final team in the NFC West? Yeah, the uh, the mighty Rams. The Los I think we're both Angeles in Rams. Are the, the ones to look at. Yeah, these guys are going to be the champions. Um, I will even go out further on a limb and say that the Rams will play in the NFC Championship game. I think, I think that's how good this team is. I think they were very good last year. They should not have lost that first playoff game. They were better than that. Um, this was these, this was the same Rams who really beat up on the Eagles in that game uh, in which uh, Carson Wentz went down with an injury. Sure. So this this team is a very high ceiling team, and in the offseason they just went out and got better. They uh, signed Sue from Miami in the Miami Fire Sale. Um, they can now plug him in as a defensive tackle. Uh, and Sue and Donald going against you as a quarterback. I don't care. I don't care who you are. That's a pretty terrifying combo. Um, they added Brandon Cooks to their wide receiver core. Uh, so now they have uh, Cooks and Cooper Cup, who had a great season last year. And then Akeem Talib and Marcus Peters added to the secondary as well. So yeah. lots of really good upgrades for a Rams team that was already very upgraded. Um, they have the uh, the offensive player of the year and Todd Gurley last year. Um, incredible dynamic runner who can beat you out of the backfield um, and beat you as a pass catcher. Um, and they have the uh, the head coach of the year in Sean McVay, who at the time of his selection was the youngest head coach uh, ever in the NFL at age 30. Now he's a, now he's a wizened 32, uh, but <laughs> he's coming back for his sophomore campaign. And I think the Rams are going to put together a 12-win season, um, maybe even 13, although it seems reckless to predict a 13-win season. But um, I think 12-4 and four is a reasonable number for this Rams squad, and I see an NFC Championship game in their future. What do you think? Uh, I, I completely agree. I think they are, I think right now they are the class of the NFC outside of Philadelphia. I really do. I think it's Philadelphia and and the, the Rams who are my two top teams coming out of this conference overall. I think it's probably worth noting that they might have used Todd Gurley a little too much last year. I mean, obviously they made the playoffs. A little bit of a surprise with how they got knocked out of the playoffs that early. Um, but I, I wonder if they've used Todd Gurley a little too much and we'll see his carries drop a little to try to preserve him this year. I think Jared Goff was really Yeah, surprising. and I think that's part of what the Cook signing is about too, right? Like, you know, yeah. don't don't rely on your pass-catching running back. Add someone to your wide receiver core who can stretch the field. Exactly. I mean, Todd Gurley had an 1,100-yard uh, year in 2015, 1,300-yard uh, year, 1300 yard year uh, last year in 2017, where 
I think they've got to pull back his carries a little just to yeah. make sure that he stays fresh because you see a lot of these young running backs. How much is too much for a running back? I think Jared Goff will probably take a little bit of a step back. I think he's a great quarterback, but I think he surprised a lot of teams. Uh, and Sean McVay was really able to work some magic with him. So I think the offense might take a slight step back, but overall they'll still be just fine uh, in this division and the conference overall. I am really high on the Rams this year. What I'm most interested to watch, however in Los Angeles is uh, Wade Phillips as their defensive coordinator, who is a great defensive coordinator. Oh, that, yeah, that's another thing I didn't even mention, but that's that's also huge. I, I think he's he's getting up in years a little. We saw him have a couple down years, um, especially towards the end of his time in Denver. Uh, but he's he has coached so many great defenses that I'm interested to see how he molds all the different personalities yeah. he has in Los Angeles on the defensive side. I mean, you look at the guys like Indomitus Sue, who always seems to have some drama follow him. Akib Talib, who is a loud guy who wants to be a leader on defense. Like you said, Marcus Peters. I think that there are a lot of personalities to manage more than Wade Phillips has seen in the past. So I, I think this could be a really, really good defense or it could be a very disjointed defense. I really see two kind of extremes that it could go in. And, and I'm hoping it's a good defense because I really like Sean McVay and I really like what he's done there uh, and how exciting and an offensive minded guy he is. He did great things for us in Washington when he was there under uh, Jay Gruden those first couple of years. So I'm, I'm excited to watch what happens with, with the Rams. Yeah, well, anything else to add on the NFC-AFC West discussion before we wrap this up? No, no, I, I think that's all I got this week. All right, cool. Well, to our listeners, thanks for listening to us. You can uh, reach out to us at Zach Crippen or at Pete underscore LeCleed on Twitter. Thanks for listening to Third String Podcast. We'll be back in a couple of days with our final preview NFC-AFC East before the uh, kickoff of the the NFL season on Thursday night when the Super Bowl champion Eagles play the Atlanta Falcons. So thanks so much for listening. Talk to you soon.